Hour two of the People Show coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Let's go to Seattle to connect with Curtis Rogers, our friends from 710 Seattle Sports. Uh, at a kid from Kent on a Twitter, one of the best handles you're going to find around. Uh, pre and post games for the Seattle Mariners. Curtis, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, it was exciting. Uh, three days ago, you're like, hey, here, here, here comes the Mariners, and suddenly uh, a little bit of a blip suddenly in this uh, end of season push. Yeah, it, it was going great for about a week there, and then uh, not so great the last three nights. Uh, a lot of late game uh, slip ups by this team. The bullpen hasn't really looked as, as solid as they did kind of pre trade deadline, which has been a big topic of conversation uh, really since that trade deadline when they dealt away Paul Seawald, their closer at the time. So uh, they, they've just kind of been looking at options at the end of games. Matt Brash, uh, you know, Canadian kid getting the uh, call last night couldn't settle uh, anything down in that ninth inning and it was a tough loss especially after that big comeback in the eighth and ninth inning after getting no offense going last night uh, so the Mariners they, they do have opportunities here though the next three nights against a bad Kansas City team but you want to get off to a good start in any series and, and last night that was not the case. No, it wasn't. And, uh, you know, for a team that's trying to climb the standings, continue to try to climb the standings, you know, these series against the lower level teams are kind of must wins. But, you know, the, the team was just so hot prior to this little three game skid here. For you, what what was it that got this team going? Was it just uh, finally starting to get some timely hits? The pitching's been great all year, but what was behind the hot streak that got the Mariners back into the playoff race? Well, the biggest thing, it really has been the one constant this season is the success of the starting rotation. Uh, prior to yesterday, the starting pitchers in their last 44 innings pitch only allowed five runs. Uh, it has just been, you know, they've had some injuries. Marco Gonzalez is out for the year. Robbie Ray is out for the year. Chris Flexen, who I think was anticipated to take over for Robbie Ray, he was DFA'd earlier this season. Uh, so there's been a lot of changeover from opening day till now, but they've been able to call up three guys who have really uh, steadied the ship, Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, and Emerson Hancock, uh, and they really haven't lost any sort of productivity from the rotation. Uh, the offense has been getting going. Guys like Gino Suarez, uh, he set the Mariners team record for consecutive games with an RBI. Uh, also, Julio Rodriguez has looked like the Julio Rodriguez of old. Last night, he had a pair of clutch base hits, which clutch situations for him this season have not been going so great. So good to see him kind of snap out of that funk. Uh, and then, you know, other guys in that lineup uh, contributing. You see Dominic Canzone uh, come up with some big hits since getting traded over from Arizona. Uh, so, and, and then J.P. Crawford atop the lineup has been incredible too. And that's another common thread in these last three games is that J.P. Crawford has been out. Uh, who knows what the Mariners' offense looks like in these last three games if J.P.'s atop the lineup with, you know, with the amount of walks that he draws uh, in that leadoff spot, his on-base percentage. And then you know, he plays a really solid defense too. So 
with, with how tight these games have been, who knows what uh, J.P. Crawford's impact could have been on them had he been healthy, not dealing with the after effects of a concussion. You mentioned the tight games. Now, yesterday, losing the ninth, they lose an extras to the Orioles. This is who the Mariners are and who they have been for a couple of seasons now, right? Chaos ball. From, from, a, from a Mariners fan's point of view, this reality of like, hey, we don't know what's going to happen inning seven and onwards, but we're always in the mix. Is, is that wearing on people at this stage or is it being embraced? I, I, think, I, I think it's starting to wear on people a little bit because, as you mentioned, this is kind of what they've been known for. This mm-hmm. is kind of what they've been doing the last few years. Uh, it all kind of started in 2021 where late in the season they went on a big run and, and they – uh, led the league in one-run wins. They had a, a crazy good extra inning record. Uh, and then last year, too, same thing, leading the league in one-run wins. Uh, had a lot of success in extras. This season, though, they're 16-22 and 22 in one-run games, just a 421 win percentage. And then in extras, they're 5-11, and 11, just a 313 win percentage. Uh, that is a stark contrast to what we've seen out of these guys over the last couple of years. Now, you know, just playing a full nine innings, they're a really good team right now, you know, having one uh, at a 5.69 win percentage. So I, I look at this ball club right now, and, and in those situations, yes, there is skill involved in that. If you have a great bullpen, you can shut it down at the end of games. Uh, I look at the Orioles, who took two of three from the Mariners. A big reason why they did that is, is they were able to turn to their bullpen in some pretty big situations, guys like Felix Bautista, uh, you have Cano also as a great setup man in Baltimore. So that's kind of how they were able to steady things late in the game. And the Mariners right now just trying to figure out how they can go from that great starting pitching to the end of ball games. I think Matt Brash and Andres Munoz uh, can definitely be those guys, but I feel like there may be one reliever away from being able to do that. But, uh, yeah, close games, there's just such a randomness to them that I, I kind of feel like the pendulum may have swung the other way on the Mariners this season where maybe they did get a little bit luckier in the last couple of seasons and, and that luck's not going their way this year. You know, you, you mentioned the bullpen and, you know, the decision to, to trade Paul Seawald is, you know, especially with, with how hot this team has got, you know, it gets more curious as, uh, as time goes on. But that's kind of what it's felt like over these last few games is that they are just that that one arm short, right? Like Sunday, you have to bring in Trent Thornton. And as somebody who uh, follows the Blue Jays and the Mariners, you know, that one, uh, I got to say, it felt like it was an inevitability that Trent Thornton was going to give up the lead in that 10th inning um, with the way that that he's been going over the last little while. But uh, it just, um, the more time goes on, does it feel like that Paul Seawald trade is – even more questionable from Jerry Depoto's part. I, I think it is fair to question it because, look, the Mariners have had great success in developing bullpen arms over the last few years. Like, I, I you cannot argue, uh, you know, just the, the amount of successes that they have had in, in converting guys who have had, you know, just kind of journeyman-like careers over the course of, of their big league years into viable major league relievers. I think of Kendall Graveman, who was a starting pitcher with the A's, came here to Seattle, turned into one of the game's very best relievers, had a similar end to his Mariners career, getting traded uh, at the deadline to a contending ball club in Houston. Uh, and Paul Seawald, I mean, same thing. He was about as journeyman as it gets before getting called up in the 2021 season. And 
I think that's a big difference between some of the guys that the Mariners have been able to develop over the last few years uh, and, and where Paul Sewald was when he was traded. I think Sewald was one of the very best relievers in all of baseball. Didn't get a lot of you know publicity across the league because he's playing in Seattle. You know, West Coast teams just don't get the same kind of of, of camera time the way you know the Yankees and the Red Sox and all those teams, the Mets do on on ESPN and, and all the other networks. But you look at, at Seawald's numbers, the, the analytics say that he's one of the game's very best. Uh, just his raw stats, too. His strikeouts per nine innings were, were fantastic all three years he was here in Seattle. Uh, I wonder if, you know, maybe his value uh, may have been a little bit overlooked by the Mariners front office just because of, of how great he has been uh, over the course of his Mariners career. Now, he's gotten off to a bit of a rocky start in Arizona, and, and the Diamondbacks have, have really faltered ever since the trade deadline. They had an above 500 record at one point. Now they're a game below 500, falling way out of the NLS race. So it's not like Seawald has had a, a huge impact in Arizona. Uh, but I do wonder if, you know, the Mariners may have, uh, you know, kind of viewed the Seawald trade as a bit of a heat check, saying, like, yeah, we can develop anybody. I think, like, Taylor Saucedo is a guy. Uh, a perfect example of somebody who's bounced around Major League Baseball has come in this year and has pitched some really big innings and has looked great. Uh, you know, he he's great, but I, he's not to the level that Paul Seawold uh, was here in Seattle. So that's going to be a huge thing for the Mariners is to find somebody outside of Brash and Munoz to get you to the end of ball games here over the season's final month and a half. So. The, the the pitching, you know, uh, and developing pitching seems to extend to the starters as we've talked about. And, you know, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, uh, both have been really good. And then you know, last week you get to see Emerson Hancock and uh, all he could do and, and the stuff that he brings on the mound. It's just uh, it feels like an embarrassment of riches with all these young arms the Mariners have. It, it really is. Uh, you hardly ever see this much young talent uh, in terms of starting pitching get promoted all within the you know two-year stretch. Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Hancock, Miller, Wu. I mean, that those five guys on their own, I feel like, could make a, a really good starting rotation or starting rotation that most teams around baseball would probably take at this point. And then you throw in guys like Luis Castillo. You've got, you know, Robbie Ray on the shelf right now. Marco Gonzalez also on the shelf. I mean, you've got, what, like eight guys here in Seattle that – could make a case for being part of this rotation in 2024. Uh, I think the Mariners front office has to look at that and say, you know, that is where we are deepest. And right now our offense has been, you know, it, it has not been where I think they had hoped it would be to this point in the season, especially with guys like Ty France and, and Gino and, and Julio not producing to their 2022 levels. Um, so maybe this offseason they look at a team that's maybe got, you know, a few young bats or, or you know, some, some bats that could end up getting moved. That's an area where the Mariners can say, hey, you know, we've got a lot of starting pitching, but not a lot of help offensively because, you know, Teoscar Hernandez is going to be a free agent this upcoming offseason. They've got a hole at second base, too. Uh, the Colton Wong experiment, experiment didn't work out. So you're going to have holes to fill this offseason. I look at that starting pitching depth as an area where the Mariners can absolutely deal from and, and probably not feel too many ill effects in, in getting rid of maybe one or two of those guys. 
You mentioned Julio Ro- uh, Rodriguez. We're talking to Curtis Rogers, by the way, from 710 Seattle Sports. Uh, you, you mentioned Julio. Now, look, he signs a big contract. And not that anyone had concerns over what he would become over the totality of the contract, but there's a natural inclination to, to want to see, you know, the immediate return on investment. And it was a little, you know, concerning earlier on in the season last you know 20 games certainly been uh, hitting a lot better five home runs in that last little stretch um but is it nice to see just kind of the return of of julio at an important time of the year too yeah especially like as you pointed out this time of year could not have come at a better time because uh they've really really needed his bat to perform up to the 2022 levels and I, i think we're getting closer to seeing you know what julio was a year ago the great thing about Julio this season is his health has really held up, hasn't missed a ton of time this year, has had the occasional day off, but hasn't had any IL stints. Uh, you know, the stolen bases are still there. The defense has been spectacular this season. There's talk that he could be a, a potential gold glover this year uh, out in center field. So he's looked, you know, phenomenal out there, which is great. He hasn't, you know, taken his struggles with the bat into the field, but you look at the strikeouts, they're up this season. Uh, he is taking a little bit more walks, but uh, it, it's crazy to see a guy who delivered time and time again a year ago struggle so much in the clutch. We mentioned a little earlier, you know, his big couple of hits last night, the three-run bases clearing double in the eighth inning. He had an RBI in the ninth as well. Uh, it was, it's been very rare to see him come through in those situations this year. I believe his batting average in clutch situations this season was something like 156 uh, heading into last night. So if he can kind of take what we saw from him last night and build on that, uh, I think it's going to be a lot more, uh, his season's going to be a lot more palatable. Uh, I still think he has been, you know, one of the very best players in baseball, even though uh, offensively the production hasn't been quite the same as what it was a year ago. Still on pace for close to you know a five win baseball war, uh, baseball reference war season. So, I mean, I think most teams would gladly take that out of their starting center fielder, uh, just off the pace of last year. But uh, to me, I, I I don't think it's a disappointment, so to speak, in his second season. But he has left a little bit on the table for sure. Uh, how was uh, Felix weekend? Felix weekend was fantastic weather wise and. Uh, you know, the joke was made on Saturday uh, with George Kirby's start. You know, oh, he went nine innings, shut out the Orioles the entire way, and they didn't get him a run of, of support. Like, that that was a tough pill to swallow, especially on Felix weekend for sure, because Felix had so many of those starts like that over the course of his Mariners career. But great to celebrate a, a franchise icon like Felix. Uh, you you kind of wish that his Mariners career had, had ended it better than it did. Uh, but, I mean, I, I've – watched the Mariners my entire life. I've lived in the Seattle area for most of my life. Uh, of all the guys that have ever thrown a ball off that mound for the Mariners, uh, he's the one that I have made more appointments to tune in for than any of them. And, you know, I saw Randy Johnson, uh, you know, at the tail end of his Mariners career. I would put Felix up there. Yeah, Peak Felix is up there with, with just about any guy that has ever thrown a ball for the Mariners. So uh, I, I it was a lot of fun celebrating the King over this last uh, weekend, but unfortunately they could not pull it off on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday uh, to send everybody home happy, but uh, still great to see everybody just come out in droves to the ballpark and uh, have a great time. Curtis, you're the best, man. We appreciate it as always. Uh, if you're not following, uh, at Kit from Kent on socials, uh, and hopefully uh, the run continues and we can connect again.
Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. Looking forward to the next time we talk. Absolutely. Curtis Rogers joining us from 710 uh, Seattle Sports on your AM dial when you're driving through Seattle. So I, uh, I made this comment earlier in the show. The Mariners and the Blue Jays are the same team. Okay, and this is what I wanted to ask. <laughs> okay, and I kind of hinted at it with uh, with uh, uh, Curtis there, because they've been doing this thing now yeah. for a couple of seasons where yeah. it's it's chaos ball. Yes, this is who the Mariners are. When you're the plucky underdog, it's fun. You get to poke fun at everyone. You're like, hey, minus thirty eight run differential. We still got a dub over you. We're fourteen games over five hundred. We're fine, and you get to have some fun with it. Then last season kind of continues. Go to the playoffs. That's all nice. Yeah. This season, they're still doing chaos ball. They're not winning as much with it anymore. Yeah. But once expectations start to rise, you expect your identity to change also. Yeah. That you don't live in those one-run games. You don't live in eighth, ninth inning comebacks. Stressful times. So yes. The entirety of a season. And does that wear on fans? And I feel like Blue Jay fans are at the stage now. It's look, we've waited for this potential for a long time. 2015 didn't work out. This was supposed to be the next wave, and it just hasn't materialized. And last year was really the first year where it's like it. The tide started to turn on Vlad and Pachette. It's like you got to start being the all pros that you were sold as. That you can clearly see the talent is there. And this is what I wanted to ask you. Are the Mariners more likable than the Blue Jays? Both teams are very unlikable right now. I would say the Mariners are more likable because there is fewer expectations on them. But it feels like they're starting to burn that currency. Yes. Of, hey, look, you made the playoffs once. That's not good enough now. Both teams are above average pitching and defense. The Blue Jays and this build of the Blue Jays has been all about pitching and defense. But they expected Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be able to hit better. They expected that they would have more length to their lineup than they have this season. But just look at the numbers. Yeah, yeah, okay, the Blue Jays are a game better or a couple games better than the Seattle Mariners right now. Both teams, Jays plus 59 run differential, Mariners plus 57 run differential. They are like neck and neck. Mm -hmm. And both teams live and die on the same sort of moments in games. Nail biters. They cannot get big hits in big moments. The Mariners have recently, and it's been one of the reasons they've gotten over the hump. Mm -hmm. They started winning a bunch of these close games in the last couple of weeks. They went on that big win streak. But, you know, these last three, again, it's... Losing extra, losing, uh, losing extras to the the Orioles two days in a row. Lose seven six to the Kansas City Royals. They can't seem to pull away from teams. They can't seem to get a big hit in a big moment. It's incredibly frustrating to watch because every time you're in a close game, when that reliever gives up a lead or throws a game away, you feel it that much more. When there's an error, when is there's a play missed, a bad wave home by the third base coach, everything gets magnified in close games. Mm-hmm. And you feel it. You remember it so much more than when an error is made in a 9-2 loss or a 9-2 win. You just like those don't they don't matter. Mm-hmm. So you forget about them. 
But when every game is so close, you remember every little mistake. And these, like both of these teams, definitely have that vibe to them this year. Basketball Phil text again. Yes, the Mariners are more likable, thousand times more likable. And I do agree. With I think Phil the- is just mostly like, well, they don't have Toronto in their names. So. Sure. But I do generally agree with what Phil said, right? Seattle still's got that underdog feel to them. Yes. Because the expectations haven't risen to where the Jays are. They also sold at the deadline a little bit, like with Seawald. Yeah. So that makes them, you know, getting back into the race, it feels like uh, playing but, with house money a little bit. But at bit. some point, you're supposed to have an organizational evolution. Yes. And that bit hasn't come about yet for really either team. The Jays have really, like, they banked a lot on Vladdy Guerrero Jr. to be one of the best hitters in baseball. And he just hasn't been that. He hasn't been that since the bubble year. Mm -hmm. And it hurts. You're constantly waiting for this player to go on a heater. To make up the deficit you might have elsewhere in the lineup. It's been the same with the Mariners this year, where they were waiting for Julio Rodriguez to break out. And it's finally started to happen. But who's their next best guy? Like, who's their n- the next guy that they sort of rely on? It's J.P. Crawford, Eugenio Suarez. Like, these types of players aren't massive impact players, I would say. Well, it's not how I would describe them most often. They needed Teoscar Hernandez to be a big addition for them this year. He's played at a less than 700 OPS. Mm-hmm. He's been terrible. Even with 17 home runs, he's a less than 700 OPS. That's awful. So a lot of the moves they've made on the offensive side of the ball haven't really worked out, whereas everything they do with their pitchers seems to work out pretty well. Maybe minus Trent Thornton. So there's a lot to like about the Mariners. More likable, sure, but... I feel like they're just just at the precipice of tipping over. It's a grind, man. There's nothing more than like grinding through baseball games that are just constantly close. Over a 162 game season, like you don't have any more nails to bite after a while. <laughs> you know, they are just constant nail biters, constantly weigh on you. And we're still two weeks away from September. Yeah, and it's gonna get even more tense. Yeah, for for a club that's done again well job. Phil's texting back in, getting back into the race of the deadline after selling feels like a a plot to major league, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And again, they're in the mix, eight games above five hundred. You'd, you'd hope for yeah. it to be ten, twelve in the mix. Um, but as as you said, it's just it just because they've been doing this for three seasons now. I just I just sense this like dread every it's time. Fatigue, it gets, yeah, it's, it's fatigue. It's fatiguing for a fan. And look, Canucks fans are sitting here. It's probably like, fatiguing for the players. Dude, too. we've been sitting here for 10 years waiting for a team to make the, the playoffs. It's, well, it's the same thing. It's fatiguing to live in the same reality for a long time. When they uh, spanked the Orioles on Friday night, you know, Julio had the big three-run homer, and it just ran away with it in the early innings. Like they, There just hasn't been a lot of those low-leverage games for either of these types of teams. Carry over those moments yeah. into a nice run. Yep. Because, you know, he needs some low-leverage games. And... When you're constantly playing high leverage, it starts to, over time, it will affect your bullpen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Matt Brash having to constantly be used in these big games is going to weigh on him. Munoz, the same type of thing. Now you've taken one guy out of there in Seawald, and that's going to even impact that a little bit more. Tyler and Chilliwack, the guys they got for Seawald have been the ones getting clutch hits. I mean, look, 
Canzone Canzoni got a big hit on uh, on Sunday, tying the game in the ninth, but he hasn't been good. You know, you can't call a guy that's playing at like a 600 OPS and say that he's had some clutch hits. Sure, everybody runs into a clutch hit every now and again if you if you end up in some big spots, but in totality, that's not a player that you would say is helping the Mariners a ton on the offensive side of the ball. Same with Josh Rojas. So they need more. They need more out of their offense. Blue Jays need more out of their offense. Both teams have sort of lived and died on the same sorts of things this year. Really great pitching and defense, not much great outside of that. Bick Nazar, Dan Riccio, I want to play this Mookie Betts thing. We'll do that uh, on the other side. And also, Matt Verderam will join us from Sports Illustrated NFL. I'll do that. Plus, Overrated Underrated. Reach isn't in with me tomorrow, so we'll do a Tuesday edition of Overrated Underrated. You can get those submissions into the inbox. 650-650, 90 minutes to go in the People's Show today. Uh, Matt Verderam on the way on Sportsnet 650. We roll on. People show. Bick Nazar. Dan Riccio. You can get your submissions into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber. Three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Your submissions for overrated, underrated. Yep. Send them in. 650-650. Or you can go to at Dan Riccio underscore on Twitter. Uh, reply to that tweet at Sportsnet 650. It's up there as well. Give us a topic. Uh, we'll debate if it's overrated, underrated, or uh, on the off chance, perfectly rated, because we feel like we don't need to have an opinion on such things. Some uh, good ones already coming in, so uh, get those in. 650, 650. Perfectly rated, our next guest. Or or underrated. I don't know. Matt Verderam joining us now from uh, Sports Illustrated <laughs> Sports Illustrated NFL. I'm going to say perfectly overrated because we love tra- uh, love chatting with you, Matt. Yeah, I, I would definitely say overrated, but I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, we're through week one of the preseason, uh, and we're, we're starting to see storylines start to emerge here. Uh, what's kind of stood out for you from uh, week one of preseason and, and getting through uh, the first part of training camp? Yeah, you know, I, I think – Look, we, we, I always look at the rookie quarterbacks. I know that's an easy answer, but I think that that's probably the most telling thing coming out of these, these preseason games. Anthony Richardson was, was up and down against Buffalo, but he flashed, showed you why he was the top five pick, and, and now he's been named starter, and I, I think, you know, rightfully so. Frankly, look, he's going he's gonna to struggle at times, but I, I think if you're the Colts, you're fine with that. You understand that. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud, look, he, he barely played. I know he had the one pick, but – Ultimately, I, I think you, know, you, you wanted to see more out of him. Um, you, you didn't get really a, a full tail of the tape in three attempts. But you know, Bryce Young, it wasn't on him. He was just hit nonstop by the Jets you know, in that game against Carolina. I wonder with Young, is this a problem all year where he's behind a bad offensive line? It shouldn't be. Ike Kwanu was a top 10 pick a year ago, played well. Um, you know, this is a, but it's a new offense. You know, with Frank Wright coming in there as the head coach, and so it, does it take a little bit of time to adjust? I, I think for Carolina, who's a team I actually like in the NFC South, I, I think it would win that division if they can block. 
that's something I'm really interested to see in their second preseason game. What do the Panthers do up front? And how do they how do they maybe uh, fix some of those issues we saw against New York? It feels like one of the most dangerous things to do to a, a young quarterback is stick him behind a, a terrible offensive line. You agree? Yeah, it's not good. It's not a, <laughs> not a good thing. Um, which is the only reservation I have with Richardson starting for the Colts. Like they, they gave up the second most sacks in the league last year. The only team that gave up more is Denver. Um, and, and that offensive line is not a whole hell of a lot better. Like if you look at that line, I was at Colts camp. Um, that line's going to struggle. I, I don't think there's any two ways. Nelson's great. You know, the interior, I think, can be good, largely because Nelson's fantastic and, and Kelly can play at center. But they, they're going to struggle on the, on the edges. Now, the good side of that is, is last year you had two of the biggest statues in NFL history in Matt Ryan and, and Nick Foles. You are going to have a very big mobile quarterback who's going to maybe save 15 of those sacks, um, which I think will, will certainly obviously up the offense. But, yeah, you're right. You have to protect for these guys. And with a guy like Bryce Young, that's the concern, right? I mean, he's, he's smaller. He's not the size of C.J. Stroud. He's not the size of Anthony Richardson. He is a diminutive quarterback. And you, look, every quarterback is going to get hit, but you, you have to limit those hits on guys like Bryce Young because otherwise, even if he doesn't miss games, you know, is he compromised? Does he start to really fade? Um, that's, that's, of course, a huge concern for any, any quarterback, certainly a rookie and, and one that's diminutive in stature. So with Anthony Richardson, um, you know, a bit of a surprise to see him get named the starting quarterback this early. That Colts team, you know, uh, there's question marks around Jonathan Taylor. They don't have a ton of pass-catching talent. Like, it, it just feels like he's, he's going to have to do a lot of the work himself, a lot of the heavy lifting himself if this is going to work in, in, in his rookie season. Yeah, no, I think it's true. And look, he and Shane Steichen are, of course, throwing it to hit. Steichen coming over from Philly, his first time as a head coach. Uh, you know, this is going to be a partnership that I believe in the long term. You know, I spent time with, with Steichen at, at uh, Colts camp and got to watch Richardson. And Richardson, all the talent in the world. I mean, the big question with him is accuracy. He was not accurate in high school. And he was not accurate in college. He did not complete 56% of his passes in high school or college. So that's got to change. And historically, that usually doesn't change at the NFL level. Can he, can he be the outlier? Can he be a Josh Allen? Maybe. Um, but, yeah, look, the one thing I like about starting him right away, you get those reps, you get that experience, and he's going to make them maybe a little bit of a higher ceiling. I mean, they're not a playoff team by any stretch, but they're at least more entertaining. Maybe you, you, you raise up morale for a team that desperately needs that morale raise. But you're right. Like they're, they're not good around them. I mean, it's Michael Pittman, and it's a lot of questions at receiver. Tight end, eh, you're not thrilled. Um, O-line, maybe good on the interior, should be good on the interior. Tackles are a question. And then, yeah, you don't know what you're getting with Jonathan Taylor. I like Evan Hall, the running back who's a rookie out of Northwestern, uh, but he's not Jonathan Taylor. So, yeah, look, they're, they're going to have a tough go of it this year. I don't think there's any question. It's always an exciting time this part of the year because it's all the new QBs. We get to evaluate that. And we're talking about the rookie QBs, but can we throw Jordan Love in this group too as well? Of We don't really know anything about him. And is this going to be his first time really under center as the lead guy? Yeah. Look, I mean, he, he's been in the system for three years, and I mm-hmm. spent time with Jordan uh, up, at, up in Green Bay during OTAs. And he was very candid about the fact. It's totally different. And, and this is something where he, of course, expects to, expects to succeed. But 
everybody that I talked to up there, you know, from, from LaFleur to some of the offensive players who have been around for a few years, they know this is going to be, hey, look, we've got to support Jordan. This has got to be a team deal. It can't just be like it's been where Aaron's going to be the main guy and, and everybody kind of orbits around him. This is going to have to be, like, everybody does their job on every play. and Everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction. And LaFleur even talked back in May about, look, this is going to be an all-year process. I think it will be. I, I expect that some games he'll play well and some games he won't. I think he's going to be pretty up and down. The day I was there, there was a defensive-minded practice. It was a lot of red zone, which is tough on a quarterback. He was 6 of 16, and he didn't have a pick, but he should have had three of them. I mean, and then that was the second day of OTAs. I'll be back up with Green Bay next week. Curious to see how he's come along. But, yeah, I think you're going to see some really nice play out of him. And then I think you're going to see some plays where you go, what, what happened there? What was that? I think we saw that week one of the preseason against the Bengals. And I think you're going to see more of it this season. Is LaFleur sneakily like one of the guys that has it's kind of as most at stake this season, you know, the whole Aaron Rodgers thing. And it, it, it's never really felt like he's gotten the full credit for the success because of Aaron Rodgers, but he's you know, one of the winningest coaches there. What's at stake for, for Matt LaFleur this season? You know, I, I think in a way it's a nice year for him because there's really not pressure on him. Nobody expects him to go to the Super Bowl. He's not getting fired no matter what happens. Um, you know, that they, he's, he's built up plenty of currency in the organization, and, and rightfully so. But I think for, for LaFleur, there is a bit of, we got to find out about this guy. we got to find out about Jordan Love, because if he's not good, if this thing's just a disaster, they're going to start looking for the next answer. You know, they, they, I, I know he's signed the next year. They can't, they're not going to give him a two-year audition. That's not going to happen. They've seen him in practice for three years. So, I think if you're the Packers, you know, you have to kind of, put the pressure on love a little bit yeah you want to support him yeah you want to run the ball a lot you're just going to find out what, what he's about and look, every coach in the league will tell you every great thing you want to hear about their player certainly their quarterback nobody's going to throw anybody under the bus but their play calling tells the truth you know you're going to know early if it's third and eight and the packers are running a draw you know what LaFleur thinks of love i think it's a it's an interesting situation for a coach who's known nothing but Aaron Rodgers since he's gotten the head job, and now is taking over a very green quarterback, even though this is his, this is his fourth season. What's your feel in the uh, in the NFC North? There, it just feels uh, for me. It's it's just so strange having the Detroit Lions as the favorite of anything. So I'm I'm just not sure how to handicap it. <laughs> well, I've seen all four of the teams in the, in the division in the NFC North. I, I think the Lions are the best team. Um, defensively, I'm curious, other than Hutchinson, like who's going to win over and over and over in that front seven? That's, that's probably my biggest question mark. And then on the back end, I like that they brought in Cam Sutton, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Emmanuel Mosley. They will tell you privately, they love Brian Branch, like to the point that they are almost giddy with excitement. Uh, couldn't believe they got him in the second round. A lot of people thought he should have been a top-20 pick. He's looked apart in camp, um, but that's a lot of you know. There's a lot of new pieces come together. That's a whole new secondary, and that front. Like Hutchinson is a is a study. He's a beast. They hit on that pick, no question. Who's the other guy? You know that that for me with Detroit is the concern. Offensively, I think they're going to score a lot of points. You know, mm-hmm. Jameer gives us a surprise pick at twelve, but he he's an excellent player. He can catch the ball. They have St. Brown on the outside. They do lose Williams in the first 16 suspension. 
I I think Detroit's a 10 or 11 win team. Um, I think early defensively it might be a little rough just because all the new pieces, plus they open with the Chiefs. That's never great for defensive rankings. But um, I, I think Detroit's going to be good. I think Minnesota's probably around 500. I think they're probably the second-best team in the division. Talking to Matt Verderam from Sports Illustrated. So this time of year, it's all hype, right? Like everyone's zero wins, zero losses. It's all great. And you can jump on board to Jacksonville, Detroit, Atlanta's getting a lot of hype. But people just forget. It's like, hey, there's some stable teams like Apple Stock. They just they just go up a handful of percentage points every year. And it's like, oh, right, they still exist. Who, who are the teams that aren't getting enough pub right now? And we're going to look back and like, yep, nine, ten wins. What teams are standing out in, yep. in that mold for you? Yeah, you know, so there are a few, and you're right. Like, this is the time of year where everybody's great until they're not. Yeah. Um, I try not to be that guy. Like, for every team that wins a game, somebody's got to lose. <laughs> for every team that's great, somebody stinks. Okay, that's – I mean, that's reality. That's, that's, the, that's the NFL. Um, I think in the AFC, there's so many good teams. You look at it and go, can there be a surprise team? I think Pittsburgh's going to be pretty good this year. I don't, I don't love Kenny Pickett. I'm intrigued by him, but they're loaded. I mean, that team's got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. You know they're really well coached. I think Pittsburgh's going to be a surprise playoff team in the AFC. And as I said, if you like somebody, you got to kind of be on the other side of it with somebody else. I, I feel that way with Baltimore. I'm not buying the Ravens. I, I think you know, the Ravens are well coached. I like Lamar. I don't love the weaponry around him. I don't love their defense. I worry about him staying healthy. And on the NFC side of it, look, that's wide open, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't know. I think Carolina, if they can block, I think could be could be good. I mean, not Super Bowl good, but like they're a playoff team good. And then I'll I'll go with my my big one. I think Seattle could could contend to go to Super Bowl. I think the Seahawks are really really good. Like if Geno Smith repeats what he did a year ago, that team is. Very talented. I would not be surprised if they win the division. I would not be surprised if they play very deep in January. Yeah, it should be uh, a lot better on, on defense as well. And, and I kind of wonder, um, we've been talking quite a bit about Brock Purdy, but should we have as yeah. much confidence in Brock Purdy as, as as it seems like we do? Or as it seems like uh, Kyle Shanahan does? Yeah, look, I, I don't want to pour cold water on Brock Purdy, but I – like, to me, I watched – I'm pretty sure I watched every snap of his last year. Like, he's fine. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody watched Brock Purdy last year and thought to himself, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's not. He's, he's fine. He managed the game. And, and by the way, he was a seventh-round rookie. That's fantastic mm-hmm. for a seventh-round rookie. I'm not, I'm not trying, to, trying to say he's not good or anything like that. He was, he was for what he was, fantastic. But is he Jalen Hurts? No. Is he a Pro Bowl-level quarterback? I mean, no, not at this point. And if you're the Niners, I mean, my, my big thing is, how much of this stuff with Brock Purdy is almost necessity? Trey Lance has not panned out. I don't care what anybody says about Sam Darnold. If I'm going to listen to one more person tell me how good Sam Darnold is, Sam Darnold's on like his 19th. Like, there's a reason. There's a reason he hasn't worked out in Carolina. He didn't work out with the Jets. And now he's on the 49ers. Like, look. He's fine as a backup. He's a good backup, but they're kind of compelled to play Purdy. I think Purdy, with that talent around him, will be fine, but I don't think he's going to elevate the team around him, at least not at this point in his career. 
talking to Matt Verderam and, and and just on you know Kyle Shanahan and Purdy and I, I saw this quote uh, on Twitter I, I haven't checked out the article over at SI but I believe a Shanahan in a conversation with Albert Breer saying Brock Purdy would have to melt in practice to lose a starting job now on Purdy it's like again I like the guy it's it's, it's fine but for all the things that you mentioned it's like yeah he's fine why does it seem that Kyle Shanahan is intent on making the job tougher for himself? <laughs> Again, I, I think, like, realistically, what are his other options? Sam Darnold, look, I'm sorry. He's not good. Mm-hmm. I, I refuse to be one of these people who just says, oh, you know, he's got great arm time. I, I don't care. He's not good. He's never been good. But, Matt, he's like, a reality exists. Like, like, they're going to win nine, ten games at least, right? And it's going to be Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold. Someone's going to start. And we're going to sit here and be like, hey, Kyle Shanahan's the best offensive mind I've seen in 20 years. Probably going to be the best one in the next 20, right? That all That's all real. And yet we're talking about it. He's, he's going to make it work with Sam Darnold and Brock Purdy. I, I just, like, I don't understand the philosophy behind that. Yeah, look, I mean, they, the, the bottom line is for them is that they have an incredible roster. They have a really limited quarterback room. And they, they know, look, I, I think it comes down to this. Shanahan knows he can manage the game with the way he coaches. Because I agree with you, offensively, he's as good of a coach as anybody in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He can manage them to win. Purdy can just not completely destroy the game. Darnold has more raw talent. Darnold, if he had to play the season out with. Nope. Trey Lance, if they had any any confidence in Trey Lance, he would start. He was he was a three first round pick player. They don't have any confidence in Trey Lance. None. So they're going to start Purdy because they have to, and they feel like Purdy won't absolutely destroy a quarter of their game. Uh, last one for you. I know uh, your your latest at SI is on uh, on the Kansas City Chiefs. Not a ton of question marks around Patrick Mahomes, other than who's he going to make a receiver out of this year? You know, I'll tell you. I was at camp there today. I'm actually driving back from it right now. I they have so many guys who none of them are stars at receiver, but they're going to have a hard time cutting cutting down the number. Um, I think you'll walk away from it saying Sky Moore. Second round pick last year. He saw limited time when he played. He played well. Uh, he's running with the ones this year. He's going to get a lot of looks when they go to their three wide, which, of course, for them is and for most teams these days, essentially their base. I think Sky Moore is going to have a nice year. I'm not saying he's going to have 1,000 yards, but I could see him being around, you know, 700, 800 yards, which, you know, you're going to have two or three guys like that with the Chiefs who are all behind Kelsey, who, who will lead the team, I'm sure, once again. Matt, we always appreciate it. Uh, stay safe in your uh, training camp travels here. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. It's Matt Verderam from Sports Illustrated joining us here on the People's Show. Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes just going to find a, find a couple of guys to throw to other than Travis it's, Kelsey through the course of the year. It's, it's, it's becoming – like he's essentially reached like the Crosby zone. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, whoever the wingers are. Doesn't matter. They're going to score 25. Doesn't Pascal Dupuis, yeah, sure. Chris Who, Kunitz, yeah, I'll make you an Olympian. Whoever. <laughs> whoever is there, they're going to score. And, like, the wide receivers don't even matter anymore. No. Kadarius Tony, Justin Ross, apparently carted off today as well. Yeah. 
Somebody Marquez Valdez Scantling, Rasheed Rice. Yeah, and everybody's like, I'm, I'm forgetting a name, Sky Moore. Yeah, somebody's trying to figure out. We're all trying to figure out: is there a receiver worth drafting for my fantasy team on the Kansas City Chiefs? And we're all hoping, like, yeah, maybe there's somebody, but realistically, it's just Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, and everybody else just kind of chips in along the way. That's sort of the way that it's built, and I don't know. So Mahomes is going, he's got two rings now. Mm-hmm. They're uh, the favorites. They're the favorites again. He's got, him and Reed are, like, unless something changes for whatever reason, they're going to be either a favorite or among the favorites in the AFC as long as they're around. At the same time, it's like, we just came away from Brady winning seven rings. Mm-hmm. Like, and that just he seems just retired. It seems so untouchable when you say seven Super Bowl rings, and yet I see the talent of a player, at least the talent of a player that could potentially get there if everything breaks right. But that's the thing. We've had so no- many things have to break right. It's not like it's just oh, on no. Patrick Mahomes' shoulders to be able to do this. Now he's been to three. Yeah, lost one obviously to Brady. Yeah. But he's already been to three. Which is crazy. We're still talking about you're five away. Mm-hmm. Even if you go five and oh in Super Bowls from here on out. Yeah. You're just tying. Yeah. And yet, and I know we do this thing a lot of like, oh, this guy's going to break this record. He's, it's easily going to get done. But doesn't it feel like he's kind of in the OV zone? I'm, I'm making a lot of yeah. uh, Mahomes to NHL references. Where now it's like, look, he's going to break Gretzky's record. Mm-hmm. We're just waiting for when. You're probably in a calendar pool, but like, oh, it's going to be game. Uh, I think there's too 18. many outside factors, though. Like, how long does Andy Reid last? But he's so good. Yeah, he's so much. He just breaks the game. There's an yeah. There's an institutional knowledge edge that the Patriots had over everyone. Yeah, that Brady became a byproduct of, and just this perfectly coachable guy as well. And absorbed everything, and and they were just smarter than everyone. And Tom Brady won with his mind all the way till the end of his career. So even if you want to give like a 15% edge of that over Patrick Mahomes for Tom Brady, the physical component of what Mahomes does, he's got a 10% edge, 15% over edge for what Tom Brady did. And it's crazy that the physical gifts Patrick Mahomes has – Married perfectly with Andy Reid. That's why it's like it, it, it almost feels foregone. Be like, yeah, we're going to be talking about 6-7 yeah. at some point. And we haven't even had the chance. It's not like there's been a 10-year period of who's ever going to be as good as Tom Brady. It happened seamlessly. <laughs> he competed with him, Yeah, got two with him in the league, and we're just. Well, it feels like we're in the greatest era of like talent level, at least of quarterbacks. I don't think there's really too much question. Um, I again in my lifetime, like look, just in the a- fanta- just in the AFC, th- there's been some fantastic quarterbacks. So when Brady was at his peak, obviously it was Brady Manning, throwing Rogers Breeze, uh, Rogers Breeze. But it, even just in the AFC, you had Philip Rivers, who was mm-hmm. always kind of around and and causing some ruckus. But JP Lossman, you didn't have a ton of other like. <laughs> Elon's the Bills fan just shaking his head back there. Trent Edwards. 
I just thought of the first AFC quarterback I could think of. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. All the guys that played. Like Cleo Lemon. Elvis Gerbach. Yeah. Uh, Jay Fiedler was like the best quarterback the Dolphins could muster in that. Matt Schaub. <laughs> entire era. Just just guys naming dudes right now. Just guys naming dudes. And it's, But like Brady didn't have the level of quarterback that he had to go up against. It was, it was Manning Brady every year. Yeah. And so you look at the AFC right now. I mean, it goes five, six, seven guys deep. Um, more than that. Incredible talents. Way more than that. Yeah. You've got Josh just, Allen, just Aaron Rodgers, one... Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. I mean. In one division. Yeah. You've got Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, uh, and Tua. Yeah. We put Tua in that class. I, I'm just saying, like, he's <laughs> he's fine, but, like, that's one division. Yeah. It's... Throw in another division. Again, you mentioned Herbert, Mahomes. Lamar. It's. You're like nine deep, yeah, in the AFC. Russell Wilson and and, and, two, and then and there's Trevor are, Lawrence who's like on the come up too. So and it's two just, are gonna miss. Two are gonna miss. It's gonna be one of the best seasons in the AFC. We didn't even mention Joe Burrow. Unbelievable. Didn't even mention Joe Burrow. So, two of these great quarterbacks are gonna miss. But that's what I mean. So to to try and project Patrick Mahomes to seven, and there's just a ton of obstacles in his way. He's just got an edge on top of everyone else. He is that good. We'll see. We'll see. We will see. Okay, on the other side, a lot more to come in the next hour. Overrated, underrated. I still want to play this Mookie Betts clip. We'll do yes. That. We'll do that on the other side. You got to hear this thing from Mookie Betts. Uh, he posted uh, on uh, social today. Uh, more of that on the way. Plus, overrated, underrated. A couple of submissions coming in as well. 650, 650. Krez, we'll get to yours as well. Uh, and Tyler, thanks for the submissions. Get more into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Overrated, underrated. On the way. Home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650.